This is Life Stories Quilt Podcast. In this episode, you're listening to part one of Janet Lamb's life story. A Montreal-based musician, community organizer, and social justice activist. Okay. okay. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Yes. Please uh, tell me a little bit about your life in general. Okay, a little bit because I could talk for days about that. Do okay. It. Do it. <laughs> and you'll just edit. <laughs> um, I was born in 1953, so I'm 65 years old. Um, in t- Toronto, there are six children in our family. I'm number five out of six. My mother was. And father, but especially my mother, was she was very organized. So she had three boys, and then she had three girls. And the interesting part about my story of why I do what I do, which I only found out maybe about 30 years ago, was um, my second oldest brother, Kenny, he was playing in the backyard. We're a working-class family. We, we grew, I grew up in a dépanneur, and then we had a Chinese restaurant. We all worked um, in the grocery store and then at the restaurant, my Chinese rest- a Chinese restaurant in Toronto called Kuang Chao in the old Chinatown. So Kenny was playing in the backyard and a truck moved, hit my brother um, and then heard my brother scream and then moved forward and so took the whole part of my brother's leg with him. So of course, my mother freaked out, went to the hospital, just kept giving blood because Kenny was like, he lost a lot of blood and she just kept giving blood. But meanwhile, she didn't know I was inside her. So after she realized that I had been in her when she gave blood, she was really worried and oh my goodness, I gave blood, I'm not supposed to give blood when I'm, you know, ba 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 ba. So she, during the whole time she was um, I was inside her getting bigger. She was very tense mm-hmm. and upset. So apparently on the first day I was born, everything, and for the first, she said for the first two years, everything made me cry. Loud noise, light people, um, shadows, rooms. I was just always crying. And she said my fists were completely closed. She, I couldn't even, she said I couldn't even open them and it was like that for two years. Mm. And so at the hospital, she realized because I was so f- afraid of everything, she bought me, just for me, a little transistor radio of music. And I found this out much, much later, and I'm a musician. That's, and it, it's, that's why. That's one of the reasons why. Saved you. <laughs> yes. Um, I come from an extraordinary historical background. I'm third-generation Chinese-Canadian. So my grandfather on my mother's side arrived in China, from China, worked on the railroad, um, in Vancouver in 1898, uh, worked on the, uh, you know, all out in BC, worked on the railroad and had 14 children. Mm. And um, my mother, my whole family, so I'm not even going to include that part of the family and how many we, they are. Um, my mother uh, was this extraordinary woman that, of course, I went through my rebellious for a good 10 years from my mid-20s, early 20s until my t- till 
I was terrible, terrible with my mother because I I just needed to set my own who I was. Um, um, But again, just in our own nuclear family with the six kids, my oldest brother died of cancer at a very young age, so... um, uh, but there's, so there's five kids and because I'm the fifth youngest now, uh, in this year, 2018, cause the last one was just born six weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So just in my nuclear family, we are 45 yeah. and just with my grand nieces and grand nephews, we're 13 mm-hmm. and we're very, very a close family. I'm probably the one that gets along the best with my family because I don't live <laughs> I don't live there in Ontario Toronto so the bulk of my family lives in the Toronto area and then I have a brother um, with his three kids who live in Sudbury area so they're all in Ontario my brothers and sisters when they say oh because our the girls the girls names uh, my mom had a sense of humor so Alinga Jinga Ping is my Aling is my older sister. A Jing is me, and a Ping is my younger sister. So when you know my brothers and my sister, my brothers like you know, oh the girls, you know, I you know it's like oh a Jing, you know, and the eyes roll up because I'm like out there doing arts and doing whatever I did and hitchhiked out to Vancouver, all that kind of stuff. But with my nieces and my nephews and my grand nieces and nephews, I'm like the cool aunt, of yes. course. So um, I have lived, I I lived in Toronto, I went to Trent University, I studied Native Studies and Sociology in 1975, finished my bachelor degree out at UBC, uh, hitchhiked out to Vancouver, uh, finished my bachelor degree out in Vancouver, had to get as far away from the family as possible. Mm Um, I was a very rebellious, we're we're talking like 70, so I was like an, uh, you know, I was a punker, uh, so I played in a punk, a women's punk band back then. Yeah. Um, and of course I had to, uh, anarchist is my strong roots at the beginning of back then. And granola, kind of anarchist, fuck you <laughs> style of being back in those days of, you know, um, that was part of the environment and what I needed to go through. Mm-hmm. Uh, I then started to uh, work with, as a street worker uh, with street kids mm-hmm. in Vancouver, uh, k- kids who just were on the streets. And so I was a street worker. I went out there and just looked after them, made sure did they have a place, got them food, that kind of thing. And I did that for off and on, like as a part-time worker and mm-hmm. on call, I did that. And then, of course, I, I um, did music as much as I could, playing in all kinds of different bands and, um, yeah, playing in as many bands as I could. So... Mm. Um, uh, yeah, and I, I, I've been doing martial arts for pretty well most of my life. Kung Fu, um, Tai Chi, Qigong, I did some Karate. Um, uh, I'm going to start a new form in January that I'm very excited about called Bagua, which is uh-huh. related to the I Ching, and it's kind of like Tai Chi, but uh-huh. there, it's still beautiful movements, but more internal meditative kind of work. Mm-hmm. Um, in the 10th year of living in Vancouver, I flew back because during those 10 years, I hitchhiked 
bused, trained, took cars, mm -hmm. but hitchhiked mostly, probably easily like 20, 30, 40 times in wow. those 10 years. Mm -hmm. And in the 10th year in Vancouver, uh, living in Vancouver, the 10th year I had spent 10 flights of Air Canada in that one year of going back to Toronto. Oh. And I said, I'm not going to support Air Canada anymore. <laughs> it's time to come closer, mm -hmm. but not too close. <laughs> so voila, that's why I'm in Montreal. <laughs> so I moved here in 1984. Mm -hmm. And I have been in Montreal since. Uh, so I know three of the big major cities. I've traveled across Canada. I'm very proud of having traveled like out to the East Coast. Mm -hmm. When I lived in Vancouver, I went up on the islands. I have friends that, you know, I, I, it's a beautiful, I'm very proud to be a Canadian. Mm -hmm. I'm ashamed as well mm -hmm. um, with homelessness and the state of First Nations here. Mm -hmm. uh, I am truly ashamed. But I'm, I was talking with a, um, somebody yesterday from Morocco and we were sharing this of how uh, as immigrants, Relatively speaking, on an international level, mm -hmm. I am very proud to be Canadian. But there's another very deep level where mm -hmm. I am truly ashamed and horrified at the homelessness and the fact that our First Nations uh, Indigenous people are mm -hmm. on the streets and poorly treated Absolutely. and cultural genocide and yeah. all of those yeah. things. So I um, moved to Montreal. I started, again, on call, working part-time. I uh, worked with autistic children oh. in a school called Giant Steps. Mm -hmm. And it was started by a music therapist who then created this school, and it still exists. Um, uh, and uh, again, on call, whenever I, I part-time, and in the meantime, I did lots of music. So I've done over 50 scores of music for film and a lot of documentaries some fiction some nfb um over you know 20 30 years i guess well 20, i've been here since 84 so that makes it like over 30 years so over 25 years i did music for film lived off of that um but um and then um i co-founded a festival called Aksa Azi, which is an Asian arts festival under the month of May, as in Black History Month in the month of February. The month of May was declared Asian Heritage Month, so I was a co-founder for the Montreal uh, Asian Heritage Month that became uh, Aksa Azi. And I would say during the time I was there, I was very strong in helping to nationalize the idea I did this the symposium and brought people from all across Canada to meet in Montreal and mm -hmm. uh, created uh, what is called the Asian Canadian Wiki, which is still, you know, self, it's a wiki, so it's still mm -hmm. quite active and, you know, came out of all of that. Um, I would say that uh, I, somebody called my life very frugal. I would say I have a qualitatively 10 star life <laughs> and quantitatively I feel very very fortunate I was married and divorced twice mm -hmm. but they weren't real marriages first one was um, he was getting his third don black belt in karate 
with my first husband, when my with my first one of my boyfriends. I went with him to Japan so he could study with his teacher in Japan, a small town in Japan, and back in the 70s to go and be together and not be married in a small town in Japan. So we got married for that. So it wasn't like real marriage. And then um, my second marriage was a, a friend from Turkey. So this can go out there, and but uh, I won't give the name or anything. <laughs> um I don't have a house. I don't have a car. I um, um, I bike everywhere all summer. I'm very, very physically active. I'm in really good physical shape. Uh, my apartment, I'm so lucky. I moved into um, where this tiny apartment. You've been to there, I think. No, you'll have to come for a meal for sure. <laughs> so I, I live... Um, it, in several places, but the place where I'm, I am now, I moved into that apartment in 1997. Mm. Um, no, sorry, 1987. Wow. Uh, and it's in the plateau. But back then, in the 87s, it was sort of like how Hochelaga was. It was like East End, Francophone, working class, mm-hmm. very, very poor. So my rent was $250 okay. for a four-and-a-half, two-bedroom. Now it's 700 I have a roommate, so I pay 350 for rent and then bills, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I just turned 65, so I'm getting my pension, and it's more than what I normally live off of. So I'm <laughs> not, so I'm able to save, you know, two, three, four hundred dollars a month on pension <laughs> because I'm busy. I do a lot of things. I'm doing like too many. I'm trying to minimalize I'm doing I'm confused I'm completely com- completely confused all the time I get lost I'm directionally challenged the minute I have to turn I'm lost mm-hmm. I swear at myself all day long when I go somewhere because it's like oh you fucking idiot where are you what are you doing and I'm completely I live in complete chaos all the time because that's how I am it's how my mind works. I'm just all over the place. I'm working on about seven or eight projects right now daily, and it was like eight or nine or ten projects. I'm trying to minimize, simplify, but yesterday I was a complete mess. I had my assistant help me because I was just in tears and, and yeah. like needed so much guidance. I said, okay, what do I write? Do I write this phrase like this? Is that how I spell it? And I was just a, a mess. Um... But all this to say is like quantitatively, because I have a very simple quantitative life with very low income. Mm. Uh, I'm a vegan, so I eat really well. I, Quebec is very, is probably the most socially uh, based province uh, in Canada. And so things like um, we have, uh, I, I'm, I, I get my locally grown Quebec food organic with uh, what's called a, a panier été, panier hiver. Mm-hmm. Uh, f- and so for t- with two people, it's ample food. I just have to buy some, some fresh fruit and maybe a few greens. Mm-hmm. And it's very reasonable. It's organic. I know the farmer. Yes. So I eat really well. I'm um, in good physical shape. I ride all, all, all my bike all summer mm-hmm. and, and fall up until the winter. Um, so I am 
able to be very, very busy because, again, this is all due to my mom, mm -hmm. who, uh, of course, I rebelled against, but finally embraced because she was such a... She, there's, there's books mm -hmm. being read, uh, and still, she's a very big... My older sister became, uh, who's a librarian, she's now written eight or nine books, and my mom's name is Jean Wong. Jean, Betsy, Jean Wong, and she's a very well-known uh, character in Toronto, and there's a foundation under her name. And um, Can you tell us why, why she's well-known? She fought for the old Chinatown in Toronto not to be torn down. It's right behind City Hall. She was most known for doing that. But she was a community activist, like I am. Um, that's why it's all because of her. And she... That was her biggest achievement, was fighting City Hall, who wanted to um, destroy, cut down the old Chinatown. Um, and our, not only because our parents' restaurant was there, but it was the, from a community point of view that she uh, did not want the old Chinatown to be demolished. And mm -hmm. it did move to Spadina in Toronto area, but there's still a few places, and she just felt that that Chinatown is... A community. It's not just stores. It's not just storefronts. It's people who've been there for a long time. There's a big history there, mm -hmm. and uh, you can't just cancel a, a community, and the, especially the Chinese community. So she she got the Order of Canada. My mother. Um, she was a, a very strong spokesperson for the Chinese community. Um, she was even though I'm third generation and she was born in Canada, uh, she only had um, up to, to grade six education, mm -hmm. um, had to work since then, but she was very a strong speaker and uh, for the Chinese community in every single way that there was a, a need for, you know, again, we're, we're talking like in the 50s. Mm -hmm in Toronto. So even though there's still a lot of racism here in Canada now, everywhere, uh, towards many, many people and and still to the Chinese, anybody who's visible minority, all cultural diverse, um, it was kind of invisible. Mm -hmm. you, you, being, being anything but white male, mm -hmm. uh, everything else didn't exist. Like women she fought for women she was a, a um a feminist way before the word even feminist came mm -hmm. uh she fought because she just was a fighter and mm -hmm. was called a woman's rights fighter but she never identified herself in that mm -hmm. way she just was very forceful and um I remember t asking my mom, I said, where did you, mom, mom, where'd you get all this? She said, well, we had a big family and I had to, I had to fight with my brothers to stand <laughs> up for what I wanted. And, and that's how she kind of um, said it. But she highly socialized because of the big, big family and the family's super. Now there's probably close to a thousand people in my family on my, mm -hmm. from just my mother's side of my uncles and aunts and their kids. Um, yeah, so she um, and my father, so she, she my, we had a, a, like a day penner grocery store when we were first growing up, and all of us, we worked in it, like, 
uh, washing the vegetables, serving, you know, cleaning up, like, um, you know, t taking the dirt off of the t potatoes or whatever. Mm -hmm. Then, and then we moved and my parents opened up a Chinese restaurant. We all worked in the Chinese restaurant, like, you know, either doing the takeout, my brothers would take the orders and wrap the takeout uh, or work at the cash or, so we all worked, um, physically worked and really had what I call your typical Chinese experience in Canada, like the old, mm -hmm. not today, yes. but the old way of hardworking, working to prove ourselves as citizens. And that was another thing that my mother really was outspoken about. She just did things. She just spoke out for the community as a Chinese Canadian, as a woman, um, and also as a Canadian. She was very proud to be a Canadian as well. Mm -hmm. So that helped also have, oh, well, you got to talk to Jean. Oh, well, you got to talk to Jean because she was Chinese, but also very proud to be Canadian. She was a businesswoman because of the, my parents' restaurant in the grocery store, and a mother mm -hmm. of six kids. I was probably the most, well, there was a couple that were pretty not easy to handle uh, out of the family, you know, six mm. kids. It's, oh, so much. Yes. yeah, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, um, I still talk to my mom every day and thank her because I'm so aware of ancestral roots and power and mm -hmm. the memory in the DNA. It just, and I think as we get older, I'm noticing as I'm getting older, I'm feeling more connected to understanding and mm -hmm. realizing and seeing and making connections about who I am and my sense of identity and where it comes from being being Chinese and being with my mom even like every day I talk to my mom my 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 my, my father and my brother every day yeah um and that's another thing too I I I'm much more emotional now than I have been before, but I think it's good. It's just, it's like, I feel like my skin is much thinner. Mm -hmm. So if somebody says something that I don't agree with, that I think is politically or, or, or inhumane, I fucking blow up. Enraged! I just blow, I just go full and it just like that yes. because I feel like after all these years we, we start by having super thick coverings to mm -hmm. keep us safe and secure ourselves and then when we start feeling secure we can take off all of those protections and layers and and have the honesty and the comfort and mm -hmm. the, 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 the the spontaneous mm -hmm. ability mm -hmm. that if somebody is unjust or inhumane or or, or disrespectful mm -hmm. in any kind of way, yeah. it's like you're fucked up <laughs> and you're gonna hear from me about that right now, you know? 
And I think it's, I, my, my skin is very thin now. Mm. It doesn't take much and I'll just blow up. But I think it's a good thing. It means I'm super connected. I'm super engaged um, to, it's essentially just human rights. Yes. Basic, simple, respect, human rights. It's not any more complicated than that. And I don't see myself as a community activist. I just see myself as a human being mm -hmm. trying, making sure that there's respect mm -hmm. and fighting for those who don't get that respect and fighting for those who don't have a voice or who need to have more of a voice. And that's, and needing to do something about it mm -hmm. because instead of complaining and yak, 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 just fucking do it because mm -hmm. that's where we are now. So that's partly why also I'm very involved. So uh, I was on two board of directors. One was is on, uh, uh, on the May, Montréal Interculturel. I just stepped down. Okay. I'm on the board of Coop Le Milieu, mm -hmm. which is an archives, one of 130 archives, which is open studio art cafe. Coop Le Milieu is the first. Mm -hmm. And it's basically breaking down the, hor the, the, the vertical thing of arts, in my opinion, and making it more horizontal and shared and... Mm -hmm. Um, I'm in three bands. I play in an Italian marching band in the summer, but there's no Italians and we don't march. <laughs> but it's, and then I play in a couple, I play in a, a alt trio, alt pop trio in a jazz big band. Mm -hmm. Um, saxophone is my main instrument. I have three saxophones, tenor, soprano, and alto. Um, I have a guitar. I play guitar and piano because of doing music for film. You, uh, when you do that, and especially with the budgets that yes. are, you, you play everything. Mm -hmm. you, you play tabletops if you have to. You know, it's just, you know, this is the old style of, um, of uh, when, I, when I used to do that. is called Green Chan Chan Montreal, which is an urban garden. We were uh, in the front of the Chinese hospital for the first, well, we, we were first up on the second floor at the, at the Chinese hospital, Montreal Chinese hospital, up where the occupational therapy department was. Mm -hmm. So working with the occupational therapy people who needed fine motor to work with plants. Yes. So we were there for about four or five years. We started to expand and then they, the OT department wanted to create their own uh, thing to, to work with the patients. So we were moved from the second floor to the front yard of the Chinese hospital. Okay. So we were in the big front yard, and by the, we, we were only there for one year. Um, we have now, we had 77 smart pots, which is like polyester black material mm -hmm. pots. Yes. And then they're all different sizes from like... Uh, two, three feet in uh, diameter to, to, you know, one foot and all sorts of different. Mm -hmm. um, and 
the Chinese hospital patients started, of course, came out every day to visit the garden. Mm -hmm. And in the typical Chinese way, a lot of them are old farmers and a lot of them Chinese Toisan, which is where I'm from, which is a part of Canton, but it's a small village and real working class small village, so Toisan. So they come, my God, and they give me shit like, you don't do it like that. That's not how you do it. And so, of course, <clears throat> the Chinese hospital got very inspired by all oh, the patients are going out every day. Yes. So they got inspired, the hospital, to build a big gazebo for the patients to come out and sit outside. But then that meant that we had to go. So we are desperately, actually, right now, looking for a spot for Green Chinatown. It's 77 smart pots. We need sun, access to water, Mm. um, um, and land of, you know, around 500 square feet. And... Somewhere along Saint Laurent, not far south of, of Laurier, mm-hmm. near some public transit kind of mm-hmm. place. So yeah, that's where I'm putting a lot of my attention oh. right now. It's because we're desperately looking for a place for, mm-hmm. you know, March, April when the sun okay. starts to warm up. This green Chinatown. What 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 do you plan? What is this? Chinese vegetables. vegetables. Even the three sisters. Three sisters is First Nations vegetables, which okay. corns, beans, and squash. Okay. So those are our largest smart pots because uh-huh. you have. The nature of what's called the three sisters is oh. that you grow those three together and they complement each other. Exactly. So corns, bean, and squash also is a very mm-hmm. uh, n- uh, natural to this land, land here, yeah. vegetables. So Japanese vegetables, Chinese vegetables, Western vegetables. Mm-hmm. We have, uh, we got a donation of one raspberry bush. So now we have five smart pots of raspberry bush, bushes of five smart pots. So that's the only fruit. And then mm. everything else is vegetables, vegetables and flowers because you okay. need the flowers to help um, yes. feed the, yes. to pollinate. And what do you do with this? Uh, so we have members. So the members pay $50 a year mm. um, and they work, work once, a, once a week mm-hmm. to harvest and, and to cut and to grow and to take the weeds and to work the garden. Yes. Um, and harvest. So mm-hmm. when harvest time comes, they can each take, I just, you know, if we have like 12 members, I say just take about a 12th okay. of what you f- see is ready mm-hmm. and you take home and then we sell a little bag to Le Frigo Vert oh. to help. So it's like a social economy yes. kind of place. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, that's, uh, that's yeah. And that's like one project of, mm-hmm. you know, Green Chinatown and then I do this other just presentation of Asian Canadians in Montreal called um, Ginger Garden, which is at Simon de Beauvoir, thanks to Concordia, who mm-hmm. lends, gives us that space. Mm-hmm. And it's just an evening of Asian Canadian Montrealers who I th- think are interesting, who are doing great things. And it, five minutes, they talk, and mm-hmm. it's videotaped, and it goes on the Asian Canadian wiki page and gives people just a chance to get highlighted because uh, we're still rather invisible. Mm-hmm. Um, How long is you're doing this? How long? Is um, oh, Ginger Garden? Ginger oh, Garden. Oh, I think, um, mm, I, I, I don't know, six, seven mm-hmm. years maybe mm-hmm. now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm doing this project called uh, Indigenous and Tibetan Sharing, Knowledge Sharing. Uh, which is a grant 
through Coop Le Milieu, and it is 12 activities, 12 months, one activity per month. September was an introduction to the Mohawk language. Um, October was um, uh, an introduction to making how to make Tibetan momos, like dumplings. Mm-hmm. November was with uh, Soleil, an indigenous contemporary dancer, so she did a movement voice thing. Uh, December, we had a roundtable discussion on cultural appropriation, etc., and it goes all the way to August. Mm-hmm. So that's another project um, of a grant that I applied for uh, with Coop Le Milieu. And, um, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And uh, uh, can you tell me a little bit more about Axiazi? Uh, when did you start it? How did you think about this? And, uh, okay. How long do you Right. You okay. Aksazi, I believe I um, was in, I believe it was 1995. Mm-hmm. I was co-director, co-founder, co-artistic director for 18 years. I was a 100% volunteer mm-hmm. during that whole time. I was learning my money off doing music for film. And, um, of course applying for grants as soon as you have grants because there's so much to do you you get money and you try and hire somebody to help with the administrative stuff and pay the artists all that kind of thing mm. it it was an idea because I have a, a a good connection with like the Toronto and with Vancouver I just um, um, I was still in touch with the Vancouver community so I, I was always in touch with people from activists in, in Vancouver and in Toronto and Montreal. Um, a group of people started talking about it. Bernard Nguyen was one of the people in Montreal. He's Vietnamese, uh, Vietnamese Chinese. Who, um, he worked at a gallery, um, visual arts gallery. I can't remember the name of it. Um, he started talking about wanting to create, do this Asian heritage month idea mm-hmm. um, there was t- him um, um, a few other people you know uh, Mary Wong was uh, involved in sort of the early beginnings so there was about four or five people who started talking about it mm-hmm. and I was part of that group and and then I kind of uh, took the ball mm-hmm. in 1995 um, it was all run out of my bedroom um, even right up until for 18 years until, well, it, it was still being run out of my bedroom for 18 years and then we got an office and all that, but I was still quite involved in doing a lot of the admin work um, from my bedroom. Um, and the reason, as in the celebration of Black History Month during the month of February, the idea, it was an American idea, and uh, in the States, it's been going on for much longer, of the month of May as Asian Heritage Month. And the reason was, up up until the time Aksazi got involved, or at that time we were called Montreal Asian Heritage Month Festival, Mm -hmm. uh, Asia was only up to East Asia. It didn't include West, and I'm the one that, introduced uh, the, the idea of West part of Asia all the way up to Turkey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, yeah, I'm, I believe I'm s- 
still the Aksazis still the only festival that really um, covers that part of Asia compared to the other cities. Um, the reason why it was important to highlight Asian Canadian uh, artists be was a lot to do with the fact that, again, if you don't self-present, self-initiate, um, you, you can't wait around and complain. There were a couple of Maison de la Culture who were very, very open, like the one out in Frontenac and the one at Plateau Montréal, mm -hmm. who presented artists of, of color back in those earlier days. But other than that, uh, organization, other, uh, you know, presentation arts organizations were not interested at all in any of the presenting of, mm -hmm. of like, incredibly talented, multidisciplinary Asian artists. So it was a politically charged to give more highlight voice mm. space <coughs> presence mm -hmm. of um, Asian arts in Montreal. I, I think the part of the reason why also the western side of Montreal's Asian Heritage Month um, has been expanded upon has a lot to do with also at that time between the three cities between Toronto, Vancouver and Montreal Montreal's China, uh, Asian community was is definitely the smallest mm -hmm. um, and still and today it's starting to grow but it's still one of it's still the smallest out of those three three cities the the idea of having um, the different communities meet each other and intersect and work together mm -hmm. was much more po possible yes. than in Vancouver where the community is so big, like say just the Japanese community, Chinese community, so big, you don't have to meet anybody else. It's just the Chinese, you know, it's just so many of them. Yes. So, and same thing with Toronto. Mm -hmm. So again, something that was at its disadvantage becomes what I consider its its force and its mm -hmm. power and its uniqueness and its richness of adding sort of uh, the western west part of Asia into because so many people when we started oh I thought you said you're an Asian festival <laughs> you know pe people don't realize that and that's the whole thing of yes. the festival is to realize like what Asia means mm -hmm. and the, the the talent of so many artists who are all, work, you know, and we still generally speak are working in other jobs mm -hmm. because it's, for all artists, it's not, it's not possible, but it, it was like master players in their instruments mm -hmm. of, um, who, who were playing and uh, teaching and, and doing all these things, but never really having a chance to, uh, show the richness of their culture and their art form to the non-Asians. Uh, mm -hmm. So th th the concept of having an Asian Heritage Month, and I still believe in, uh, of, uh, you know, the, the ultimate goal would be that we wouldn't have to have, you know, a Asian Heritage, Aksazi, yes. that it would be completely integrated. And, mm -hmm. But 
I think we're we're very far from that we're still. Not there yet. No, no, <laughs> yeah, we're not there. Yes, why aren't you there anymore? Oh, why did I step down after yes. 18 years? I felt well. Number one, after 18 years, um, what was going on in my life? Um, I, I became quite involved with Co-op Limiteur around that time. And it was, um, at that time as well, Hushal had been working uh, as the general manager, and he'd mm -hmm. been doing it, I believe, for like 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I felt that it was time to sort of, then passing the torch to him, uh, after 10 years already as general manager, it was a perfect timing. And then for me to to uh, do kind of more work with, um, like with Co-op Limiteur and mm -hmm. start to develop that, mm -hmm. you know, community of, of, of work, yeah. What is Co-op Limiteur? What do you do there? Well, I'm on the board, um, but it's, Co-op Limiteur is run 100% by volunteers, so there's like, anywhere from 25 to 35 volunteers a week mm -hmm. running, you know, the cafe. It's an open arts cafe, mm -hmm. open studio. So the place is from floor to ceiling, all recycled. So people just drop off recycled everything, paper, pen, paints, pencils, broken, like, material, string, anything. Mm -hmm. Corks. Somebody just showed up with this huge thing of corks from wine oh. so somebody will one day maybe take make them a cork board out of it or whatever yeah. but literally a huge box of mm -hmm. corks mm -hmm. um and um as board members it's we're hands-on because it, there's no worker and it's really a horizontal style of mm -hmm. running things mm -hmm. Um, and it's not your typical board. It's not like uh, where you, you, as a board member, where we talk about the direction. It's, but what we're do there. You do? What do they do? What is this organization? Oh, oh what, oh, oh, what is Goblin here? Uh -huh. Okay, so Archives, again, is one out of 130, I believe, now that exist mm -hmm. internationally. Uh, most of them are in Montreal. It's a concept that was started by this woman, Janice Tim Botton, who is Concordia Arts Therapist, professor who teaches at Concordia. So the idea got started by her. It's being expanded by Rachel Cheney, Rachel who is doing her master's, I believe, here, um, who's also on the board at Coop Le Milieu and, and is the co-founder of Coop Le Milieu, which is in Centre Sud, right beside Beaudrey Metro. Mm -hmm. So Coop Le Milieu is the first out of these archives. And we're a tiny place of maybe 350 square feet. We have, we bought an espresso machine bar, but this is over the years. And when you go there, it's literally, it's, we have a few, we have like seven sewing machines. Uh -huh. um, there's knitting circles. There's, so people just show up. There's a sewing machine gathering that happens. Um, it's all spontaneously done by whoever. Uh -huh. So it's really horizontal, decision-making, collective, spontaneous, um, chaotic. It's sort of a run, 
it, but it's organized a little bit better, but it, it is sort of an anarchist mm-hmm. way of running it. Whoever does something, you just do it. Yes. You want to see something, you just do it. Mm-hmm. And it's just not even a collective. It's just yes. so um, we're, dep- depending on the time of who's available, who puts in three hours. We have like three shifts a day, 11 to 2, 2 to 5, 5 to 8. Mm-hmm. Right now we're open four days a week, I believe, so Tuesday to Saturday. It changes all the time uh-huh. um, to sometimes five days, sometimes three days, sometimes six days a week, depending on mm-hmm. the volunteers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the volunteers get, tra- we train the volunteers. Okay, uh, there's always two. One that's in the ca- deals with the cafe, knows how to run the machines, okay. knows how to make the coffee, knows how you know the treats work and how much they cost and the cash box and dealing with all of that. And then the second um, volunteer is on the floor dealing with any workshops or the things that are going on. So you arrive in this space, we have just shelves and shelves and shelves, literally from the floor all the way up to the ceiling mm-hmm. is shelves full of all recycled material of pens, papers, clips, hair clips, paper clips, string material, mm-hmm. cloth, paper, anything you can even imagine, floor to ceiling, yes. packed full of secondhand material. So you, you walk in and you look up and down and you say, oh, whoever wants to, I'm going to do this. So mm-hmm. you grab something, mm-hmm. then you pay a contribution of mm-hmm. whatever. And you say, oh, yeah, I'll have a coffee and I'll take a croissant or whatever. And you sit down and you, you make your whatever. So there's people who do that. There's other people who organize. Like one night I was there and there was literally six people sewing with the sewing machines. And these are all old, old, old sewing machines. Some with, you know, by foot, by hand, like that people just say, I don't need it anymore and just donate it to us. Mm -hmm. And people get together and they just share, oh, how did you do that stitch? Or how did you, you know... Mm -hmm. Um, workshops are any, ranging from anywhere what I'm doing with the with the Indigenous and Tibetan Sharing Project mm-hmm. to um, um, knitting circles, making uh, co- uh, coasters, uh, tea warmers. Um, other people who are giving workshops, a drawing workshop, introduction to drawing, anything that anybody mm-hmm. wants to say or do or start or learn or want to mm-hmm. happen, it's, it's done. It's about 50 scores mm-hmm. that I've worked on. I've always worked with somebody because I don't, I don't have any technical skills as mm-hmm. far as studio recording, mm-hmm. microphones, all of that that you need. So I was very, 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 very fortunate for the majority of the time I was doing music for his film. I was working with this um, musician. He was a guitar player in one of the bands I played in, Dino Giancola. He's no longer here. He's gone. He's doing tech somewhere in Ontario now. But for years, he 
where he lived, he had a little studio, and he is, was a technical genius. So he had like a huge board, like technical board for, I think we had up to, uh, I think up to like 50 um, tracks if we wanted. Then in the basement was where the recording happened. So everything was all padded and headphones, some beautiful, incredible mics that over the years he invested and got really beautiful, good quality, high Mm -hmm. quality microphones for, 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 for playing. And I'm somebody that takes pride because I, I, as a musician, I feel, well, at that time, again, we're, you know, we're, we're talking 80s, 90s, up mm-hmm. to two, 2000. I stopped doing music for film again about when, when Courtney Media started. So about six or seven years ago, I don't do it now since mm-hmm. then. But so all the way up until, you know, the early uh, 2000-teens, um, the film you like most, you did the score for it. Yeah, I, we would do the music for uh, the film, for any documentary or film. or, And I took pride in the fact that I felt strongly that it needed some acoustic sounds. Like there's a lot of film music that's used that's all digital, mm-hmm. but I am somebody that's very instinctual and mm-hmm. I'm very close to my, my senses. So. Yes vibrations of sounds Mm -hmm. and a real instrument acoustic sounds a voice an instrument uh in the recording even though it's just background for the film i think it it i we took a lot of pride so we always made a point of recording acoustic sounds in in the mix of Mm -hmm. the music for film that we did Mm -hmm. because I am who I am, and because I have such a rich background, and I'm very social, I love people, and I'm, you know, I was very involved with the women's movement and uh, cultural organizations and, you know, Immigrant Worker Center, all of those kinds of places, um, and went to all the marches and fought and all of that. My community was very politicized. So the people that I got involved with, such as Production Motimonde, which was primarily the major source of where my music was, was through films that they had done. And um, But I, we worked a lot in small independent films that either didn't have any money or mm-hmm. had just symbolic mm-hmm. money and all that money I made I, I gave to Dino because of this running the studio and stuff like that and mm-hmm. because I have such a simple life I didn't I don't need a lot of money to live so for mm-hmm. me doing those kinds of projects was worth you know to support mm-hmm. and it's my kind of uh, social presence with mm-hmm. activists to help change the world that mm-hmm. made me want to do as much as I could to help them out. So yeah, it was about close to 50 scores of independent, mostly documentary, some NFB, some fiction, some, you know, big corp, well, not corporate, but big company names, mm-hmm. but majority was were the small independent and documentary films mm-hmm. that um, did the, the music for. 
and most of the work was with regards to subjects that are helping to change the world in a better way mm -hmm. and making people aware that you know certain things are not acceptable mm -hmm. and that we have to fight to make those changes better for to make a better world absolutely you have cds did you record cds or of the music that we mm -hmm. did mm -hmm. uh i think we had i think yeah we we uh, somewhere i have yeah, some CDs of, you know, trying to push our music and people would say, oh, you do music for real? I'd like to hear some of it. Yes, so yes. we had a little demo of, okay, of stuff, okay, but okay. I'm not even sure <laughs> where it is or if I have any of, yeah, any of that kind of stuff anymore. But you play, still play? Yes, I still play. But again, for doing, that, that was like, you know, doing tabletops, like for, for, if it was a really small budget, um, and because we really felt strongly about like um, acoustic sounds, the the um, Dino he's a guitar player, so we had that covered. I play piano, uh -huh. not classically trained, but we had a piano at home, so I'm very comfortable with with playing piano. And then all the wind sounds, so my saxes, of course, but flute, kind mm -hmm. of recorder, like any wind, even you know, kind of to. to to create you, you say oh that's that is that an instrument or is that wind or because we like to give a sound of realness mm -hmm. and it's through making those acoustic sounds mm -hmm. so creating sounds that were real were part of what Dino and I did and it was a lot through through you know hitting the back of a guitar or something you know making it boom yes. or those kinds of things yeah so yeah Life Stories Quilt Podcast is a project created and produced by Shahzad Arshadi in collaboration with Nassim Mohadad. Original music for Quilt Podcast was composed by Kayan Tahiri. <laughs>